This is the No Limits Podcast, episode 13. Welcome back. We are glad that you're here. The podcast is sponsored by Tangle Free Waterfowl. We have been so fortunate to partner with a company whose primary focuses are quality, conservation, and customer service. You hear me say it every week, don't waste your time or money on gear that will fail and needs to be replaced every other year. Uh, We have a fairly demanding filming schedule, uh, filming on the road nearly nonstop all season. There is no way that we could maintain that pace and level of consistency if our gear wasn't up for the task. Our stuff gets thrown in and out of trailers, boats, trucks, bounce off a tree, stepped on, rolled over, thrown on the back of four-wheelers nearly every single day, and we will not and cannot tolerate gear uh, malfunctions or or failures. Uh, We all have, you and I both, all of us, we all have too much time, money, effort, and anticipation invested into a relatively short window of time. Your gear simply has to perform. Uh, Their products aren't only tough, they're also super functional because they're designed, made, and tested by duck and goose hunters, just like you and I. You look at their products and you think, man, that's a a good idea. We've all done that, right? Everything they make has a specific purpose and function. And to top it off, they are super generous people too because you listen to the show. If you enter the promo code PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, at checkout, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. And so think about how much you can save on bulky items like decoys and blinds with free shipping. Instead of spending that on shipping, you can get another piece of gear that you need. So thank you to the fantastic people at Tangle Free Waterfowl for their generous support of our show and our listeners. Also, a new partner of the show to Hatsu Outboards. We have been running their 50 tiller model on our edge duck boats this year and have been absolutely blown away by the performance Uh, the 50 horsepower model we run weighs in about 204 pounds which is amazingly light for a four stroke of that size Uh, in terms of the fuel efficiency i can typically run nearly 40 miles on a six gallon tank which is stupid ridiculous Uh, We have our motors paired up with hydraulic jack plates, so if we need to get on plane in the shallow marshes of Louisiana, that soft, muddy bottom, like in six to seven inches of water, we can do that with no problem. If we need to run the timber, we don't need to worry about knocking the skeg or the lower unit off on logs or stumps because we can trim down, jack up, and have the prop running almost near level with the bottom of the boat with no performance issues. Uh, Our 50s push the edge, 1660s, around 42 miles an hour, which is impressive uh, on its own, especially with the amount of camera gear in addition to what we normally carry. You know, you guys know decoys and gears you carry. Um, We we pack it in there. So I could go up to a a 15-pitch prop and get even better top end, but I don't want to sacrifice any power getting up on plane. Uh, And y'all have seen me running boats through the woods, so 40 miles an hour is plenty fast enough. So Tahatsu, we feel, has hit a major home run, and we thank them for their support as well. Head over to Tahatsu.com and find a retailer near you, Tahatsu.com. My guests today 
are Dustin Roddy of Cash River Farms and Josh Green, an area supervisor for the Arkansas Game and Fish. I was really excited to have Dustin and Josh on the show for several reasons. First, to talk about the Cash River system or complex itself. So you guys that hunt Arkansas, you know all about the cache and what a fantastic river and wetland ecosystem that is, especially on those major migration days. It's a, it's a magical place, but it also is one of the most, if not the most important ecosystems in the Mississippi Flyway for migrating waterfowl. Uh, to that end, we talk about the conservation efforts that are underway to preserve and restore the cache. The second reason that I was excited to have them on is because of the wealth of knowledge these two guys have on how to manage properties that will attract ducks like magnets. Look at their Instagram page. It's a testament to their conservation and management strategies. Um, the reason I wanted to talk to them about their approach to attracting and holding ducks is because there's a lot of folks out there that see what Cash River Farms is and what it does and they think they need massive tracts of land to build an effective waterfowl ecosystem. Not true. Um, as a matter of fact, Cash River Farms is not a huge land tract. It is in fact a collection of smaller properties scattered up and down the cache, very similar to what most of you guys have access to or have leased now. What they've done you can absolutely do on your tract. Uh, a lot of guys also think you need to spend massive amounts of money. Also not true. And I know that because we talk about some of the strategies that you guys can deploy this year to improve your property's ability to attract and hold wintering ducks and geese without spending a fortune. The bottom line is this. We're not talking about holding all of the waterfowl on your property. Our discussion is focused on how we all benefit from better, more effective land use practices. Uh, another reason I wanted Dustin and Josh to dive into some of these topics is because of the consultation services that they can offer through Cash River Farms. Regardless of where your property is located, Dustin and Josh can help you or your club figure out the most effective, uh, cost-effective ways to maximize the production potential of your specific property. Uh, there aren't many guys with the track record that Dustin and Josh have that are willing to share their strategies with other duck hunters. We are a pretty secretive group, but in the interest of the notion that a rising tide lifts all boats, they understand that better habitat benefits everyone. So make sure you hit them up on Instagram after the show, not now, because we're getting ready to start. And here they are, the evil genius masterminds behind Cash River Farms, Dustin Roddy and Josh Green. Hey, did I see Dustin when I was kind of looking at your Instagram page? Are you guys running uh, edge boats with Tahatsus? I'm running an edge with a Mercury, but some of them, we have a hodgepodge boat. So depending on... on whose boat we were in that day there are we do have some some edges with the hot suits some havoc gotcha. with the hot suits not it just depends on who's hunting with us depends on who's got the tiller right you got it we've um we've i've been with edge now for i think three or four years probably four years now and love their boats but this is my first year running 
the new Tahatsus. Mm-hmm. And I've got a 50 tiller pushing uh, a 1660 edge. The, uh, the, the Tahatsu motors, man, I, you, they're, they're tough to beat. They're tough to beat. Yeah, well, I tell you, the thing, like that 50 that I'm running only weighs 204 pounds. I don't right. know where they put the rest of it, but <laughs> it will it will scoot. Hey, but I'm glad you guys could uh, could join me. Well, we're glad to be here, Joey. Yeah, man. Let's let's talk about let's get the bad stuff out of the way first. How did y'all find last season to be? I thought honestly, um, we got ducks a little earlier than normal. Um, we had a good November, and it slacked off. Right there, around the end of December, normally whenever we start getting pretty good around here. Yeah, I would, just, I would, I would um, agree with that. I've watched guys cutting soybeans and rice in the snow in November, which I cannot remember the last time I've seen combines running in the snow in November. But we got a good push, you know, during that that front that moved through early in November. Usually, I'm sitting on a deer stand that time of year when duck season comes in. That you know, second to last. Uh, I guess weekend in November. Um, I'm usually still sitting on a deer stand just because duck hunting's typically not the greatest. This year was a complete backwards year. Ducks were here early through right there before Christmas, and then man, January was a little bit more of a grind than than typical. But any day you get to go out and and duck hunt, I'm not going to complain too much. I would assume that you guys do. Do you, um, Dustin, do you just kind of rely on the river to back you up, or do you pump any? Or We have the capability to do both. I mean, obviously on some of our river spots, uh, on, on the pieces of property that we have that are on the river channel themselves, yeah, we're waiting on, on Cache River to, to jump up and push water across us. But we also have other property that we can control the, you know, the water on with, with wells and make sure that we have an adequate amount. Yeah, so, and so now your farm is what, probably north of the Cache uh, Refuge or Wildlife Refuge? The Cache River Wildlife Refuge encompasses, you know, ground across multiple counties, and it kind of runs north to south all the way down that river channel starting at about what, Josh? Amic- just south of Amigan there about Algoa and runs all the way down to where the Cache River dumps into the White River just south of Clarendon. So we have pieces staggered throughout that system josh what was the what was your so you're an area manager for arkansas game and fish right yes sir what uh what what kind of numbers did you see coming out so describe your area first and then what did you see coming out of those areas well i i manage a lot of uh, green tree reservoirs in eastern arkansas um we've got some open land habitat as well it seemed like, for the most part, like I said, early in the year, November, we had a lot of ducks, you know, through about mid to late December. And, you know, we'd have a pulse here and there. Um, the ducks just did not want to stay around. And there was a lot of water late in the year, so um, the ducks were just spread out, you know. Um, the areas that you could could rest them, we held them a little longer, you know, but the people would, uh, you know, get in there and find them and, you know, shoot them out in a couple of days. Hey, what's going on with the mud motor uh, discussion? Or I hear bits and pieces of it, but I hear they want to ban them, not ban them. Just make sure they're not as loud. What's the latest with that? 
the latest I've heard on the mud motor thing is um, they're just trying to, not necessarily ban them, but they're just trying to, you know, lower the decibel uh, level on them. Okay. So it's not disturbing the ducks and not, you know, uh, messing up other hunters and stuff that are trying to enjoy their time out there in the outdoors. Yeah, because they sound like dragster hot rods coming through the woods. Absolutely, you know. And, I mean, uh, we've had some guys in Arkansas that are really trying to promote, you know, being courteous to other hunters that are idling through instead of trying to rev it up. And it's made a difference. It really has. I mean, you just, number one, you can go anywhere in them. And you, you just have to be conscious of other people that are in the woods with you. And I know that's kind of a foreign concept to some of these guys I see out there. I mean, they think just because you can go anywhere, you need to go there, and you need to go there fast and as loud as you can. And, and Joey, I've, 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 I've literally seen mud motors come through different areas that, you know, they make aftermarket dampener systems for those exhausts on those things, and they really do make a difference on quieting those, quieting those uh, mud motors down. So, Well, it's just it's the same thing like when guys used to run airboats down here in the marshes. It's the same concept. I mean, you're running right. everything out of out out of every place. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it well, I started to say because it sounds like an airplane. It, that's what it is. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, it's an airplane on a boat. So, but we, uh, you know, we had varying. So we went all the way to Canada last year. We drug an 18 foot decoy trailer with 40 dozen full body tangle free snow goose decoys all the way up to Saskatchewan from baton rouge it took a long time <laughs> um but it was uh you know it's just it was a weird because like we do a lot of a lot of stuff in kansas and it seemed like the fronts that we got were more west to east and so it kind of stirred birds around a little bit but they were the same birds that have been there forever you know they you were hunting stale birds like the whole time same story and, same song, different verse here in Arkansas. Was it is so? That's what you saw. That's what we saw a lot. Yep. Early on, um, you know, the birds really responded to calls well, decoys well, and then as the season progressed, they'd already seen our setup one too many times, I believe, and they weren't gonna. Yeah, like they, the same setup, like <laughs> the one they flew over last week yeah, and the right, week before. Right, 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 right. And we try to vary our setups, but you know. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many different ways you can do it, though. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, the reason that I wanted to have you guys on um, is there's a lot of discussion about different farms and management techniques, and, and, you know, I think that there's a misconception from a lot of guys out there that you need to have thousands and thousands of acres to do anything that's worth any kind of effort as far as, you know, Josh said, as far as managing green tree reservoirs and putting water on them in the, in the fall and taking water off before the, before the leaves, before trees start to green and that. I think there's a misconception that you have to have just massive pieces of property to do anything effective. And so I want to talk about that. But the first thing I wanted to get a better feel for is any, so anybody that's listening that hasn't seen Cash River Farms either on Instagram or um, you need to check it. You guys have done it just picture perfect right. I think I was telling you when we talked last night that some of my favorite pictures were watching you guys build those big hotel blinds. I don't know why, but I just I loved those. I love standing next to a tree, 
But man, there's something about when the weather gets nasty, being tucked into a nice warm blind eating breakfast. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I wanted you to do, and, and maybe Dustin, you can kind of kick it off, is talk about the Cache River in general, not so much the farm, but just the area. Like you just pointed out, the management area or refuge system runs up and down the cache. I didn't know that, but talk about just the Cache River system itself, maybe what type of ecosystem it is and what makes it so special to you. The Cache River system in and of itself encompasses multiple counties, right? And, and it's a, I can't remember how many miles of, of, of river it is, but it's a, it's a long stretch. It has been identified as a wetland of international importance. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife are making a big push, you know, to restore the habitat and, and bring the, the Cache River back to its natural state, if you will, and the lands along the Cache River back to its nat- natural state. Um, it, you know, the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife has deemed the Cache River system as the most important winning area for, for mallard ducks in North America per their North American waterfowl management plan. Um, it's a special, special place, man. It, it really is. Uh, you'll get to see things on the Cache River that you don't get to see anywhere else in any part of the country. I, I know that there's multiple places across the U.S. that hold ducks that are very unique. Cache River is, is one of those very unique um, river systems. Yeah. I tell you, so when you start talking about restoring wetlands, I am from a place that I get it. Because the amount of coastal erosion that that goes on down here in South Louisiana, especially like in the in the marshes below New Orleans, mm-hmm. if you looked at a satellite image of Southern Louisiana, like when they started taking satellite images, obviously, but we it's estimated that on average every year, some years are worse, some years are better, but on average we lose about a football field size you know, section of wetlands every day. Wow. And so, like I said, that's an average. So on years where you have a hurricane, you probably lose more. Right. Um, on years where you the weather is kind of calm, maybe, maybe you don't. But that all started from levying off the Mississippi River and all the sediment that would overflow the Mississippi River's banks in the spring, like right now, um, it's channeled and deposited at the mouth of the river below Venice. And because of that, now salt water is intruding, intruding further and further and further north where there's never been salt. I mean, some of the places where I catch redfish now, which I love to do. <laughs> I mean, we're in my, we're in my man cave now where I've got, uh, so I make my own rods and reels and fly rods and stuff. And I've got it scattered all over the place. Um, but I'm catching redfish now near old dead oak trees. Right. It, it's just, it was standing fresh water, maybe a little brackish at one time, but now it's salt. And every 24 hours we lose about a football field size of land. So I, when you talk about restoring w- something to as close to what it, it, it originally was as best as we can tell, it's so important. So important. Josh, what, what are some of the things that they're doing to bring that ecosystem back or kind of, kind of tweak it and get it back to what it, what, what, so I just described to you what happens down here. It, it, Joey, it sounds to me like a lot of the things that happen down there when you are losing those football field size, you know, 
chunks of wetland? Is it because of Mother Nature? No, it's because man has stepped in and tried to do something that Mother Nature never intended. So same thing here. If you look at an aerial map of the of the state of Arkansas, especially this eastern third of the state in the 1950 from the 1950s and 60s versus today, the amount of acreage that was cleared of of bottomland hardwoods because of, you know, farming practices, it's staggering. I mean, it'll make your head spin. Um Joe, one of the best things that ever happened is uh, the NRCS stepping in and implementing some farm bill programs that has really, really benefited, um, you know, wetlands in, in general because you've taken a lot of stuff out of farm production and, um, you know, sedimentation like you're talking about. And, you know, you have the, the monetary, you know, incentive for landowners, but ultimately, you know, it's it's increasing the wetland component across the united states from louisiana all the way up to um, you know minnesota um, which creates excellent waterfowl wildlife habitat across the board it's just so where i've used to have duck blinds in the marsh that's gulf of mexico now and a lot of the stuff joey that was taking that was taken out of bottomland hardwoods for farming practices had no business being cleared in the first place it's poor farm ground great duck hunting ground right because it stays wet but when you look at it from a, a yield perspective um yeah it's marginal not, at best you're right it's marginal at best and that's the stuff that the u.s fish and wildlife the nrcs are, are, are looking to restore back into those um, wrp type programs and, and reforest uh, back to its natural natural habitat yeah, it's funny because when you go, like I told you, some of the places that I hunt in Mississippi, which is just, I mean, just really kind of east of y'all, you, when you drop down into the Delta, any, and I've told friends this, any place where you see a big group of trees, you can bet that that's federal or state land. Because if it wasn't, they'd have cut them down and plowed it under. And you can also bet that it's probably... By and large, when you see a stand of trees in eastern Arkansas, you know, a, a solid block of timber, that's the wettest of the wettest. Because before the U.S. Fish and Wildlife or the Arkansas Game and Fish owned it, you know, it was probably owned by a, 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 a private landowner. If they didn't clear it, it's because it stayed wet. But anything that was marginal, that was, you know, like I said, that, that shouldn't have been taken out. A lot of the stuff that, that was taken out shouldn't have ever been cleared to begin with. But, but you know, Dustin, you and I were talking, and, and you've got a real passion for that area. And as you and I, you know, you're talking about really wanting to showcase what the cash can be and talking about what it was. And one of the things I asked you is, Man, duck hunters like to keep secrets, dude. Why? <laughs> you know, um, I, I I get it, but I'd love to hear you talk about just what it is that you want to show people and why you want to do it. You know, because <laughs> duck hunters keep their secrets, right? I mean, it's like I ain't telling you. What are you talking about? Where'd you shoot them in the head? Oh no, I mean, where on the? I ain't telling you. You know, Joey. Honestly, it, it, it's it's kind of an internal battle that I fight, right? So (laughs) 
you want to protect the Cache River and not let word get out about it. Just you don't want to see it get overran. You, you you like to keep your 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 cards close to your chest, but at the same time, it's such a special stretch of of, of Earth that you know people need to experience it. Now, I'm not saying that the Cache River is any better than Biomita or any or any better than Biodeview or or White River. Cache River is just where I hang my hat because that's where my heart's at. That's where I grew up duck hunting. I can remember going out there with my dad whenever I was you know 12, 13 years old. Some of my first duck hunts. The Cache River is where I fell in love with duck hunting. Just to be honest with you, um, right? And that's why it's such a special place to me. It's a very important stretch of river. It's a very important ecosystem for wintering mallards, as we discussed earlier. I truly feel like that if every single person, whether whether the property is owned by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the, the Arkansas Game of Fish, or it's a privately held track, the more habitat that can be restored down that river system, the better off everybody is across the board. And, and the better it is for the ducks. You get to see things on that river channel. If you're ever lucky enough to be on that system on a true migration day, you're going to get to witness things that, man, most people will never get to see. Josh, he's not lying to me, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> I, I love, hey, in not only Cash River, but, you know, White River, too, um, which is close to Cash River. They run side by side, and... Uh, you know, the more habitat, the more we can do to, uh, you know, uh, increase food sources, loafing areas for waterfowl, the better it is for everybody. So, Dustin, talk about your farm, Cash River Farms. And like I said, if nobody has, if you don't kind of know what I'm talking about, if you haven't seen it on Instagram, check it out. I love the images that you guys put up there. But talk about Cash River Farms, kind of what is it, what did it look like when you got it? What, what did you have in your head when you got it? And how did you, how did you even know what to do? to take that i mean was it was it kind of naturally just a, a good spot or what what did you what did you see when you got it so cash river farms joey is a is a portfolio of multiple properties okay and and to back up and give you just a, a, a quick spill on how the cash river works Cache River is different than the Mississippi. It's different than the White. If you looked at the Cache River, if you drive over Cache River, I mean, there's spots where, you know, that river channel is not wider than, than, you know, three or four pickup trucks long, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very small river system, which means that it doesn't take a lot of water to really fluctuate the water level on that thing. Um, rains when they come through and, and, and they come through on the north end of Cash River, northern Jackson County, Craighead County, um, a little bit of rain goes a long way across the cache. It, it's a small tributary, right? And so as the ducks roll with the headwater on that river channel, I've, I've watched it since I was a kid, right? The headwater, as, as the Cache River rises and that headwater moves south down that river channel all the way to the to, to where it dumps into the White River at Clarendon, the ducks go with it. What our concept was, was, hey, instead of buying or, or, or owning a big, large, contiguous block of, of ground and putting all of our eggs in one basket in one area... Let's be able to move and adjust with what the ducks naturally want to do on that river system. And so we, we've tried to go in and pick up smaller tracts of property, 
staggered down that river channel to where we can actually move and flow with the ducks. As, as they move, we can move. All along the way, we're taking and, and typically p picking up, like I said, marginal at best pieces of farm ground and trying to restore those things, putting them back into where they were before they were cleared for farming. Right, so your concept is spreading up and down the river, not just, okay, here's the farm, here's the gate, and there's the fence. I mean, it's right. not just one area. It's, a, it's more of a concept. Exactly. It, it, it's, we, we look at it as, as an overall conglomerate of multiple small pieces versus, you know, putting all of our eggs in, in a, in, in, in one thousand acre track that's contiguous. Let's bust that thing up into, you know, small chunks down that, down, down that river system. The same thing can be done on view. The same thing can be done in, in different areas, but the cash river is, like I said, just kind of where we, that's where we fell in love with duck hunting. So that's where we went to work. So what did that transformation process look like? Or, you know, just think of one of the areas that you kind of, I mean, what do you look at? What do you see? What do you account for? Uh, because eventually I want to get to a spot where we can talk to guys that have a small tract and want to adopt maybe some of the strategies that you put in place because you guys do hold a heck of a lot of birds. And so talk to me about what were some of the, like, what did that whole transformation process look like? That to me is really super interesting. The transformation process is as far as what, as far as what it, what it looked like, while we actually key in on the specific pieces that we targeted. Yeah, that's that's part of it. When you look when you look at a satellite map, I mean, what are you what are you looking for? Because like you said, that that thing's long. Joey, I, I I'll be honest with you. Look, and I've had a lot of people ask me that question. Being able to determine what works and what won't work, it, to me, it, you can determine a lot off of off of aerial imagery. Okay, but Joey getting on an aerial map on Google Earth and, and following the Cache River system and trying to pick out, oh, that part looks good, that piece looks good, that piece looks good. We, I've compiled years of, you know, I, I've spent so much time running up and down that river system that, that there are certain areas that are, are, are are dead areas and there's certain areas that are that are really hot areas well all right so let me ask that so what would make an area just a dead area what is going on around it there's there's pieces of the cache river that are that have been channelized okay um obviously those are easy to pick out on an aerial map but there's also pieces that haven't been channelized that you know the water doesn't spread out as well. the The agricultural fields around that area are are sandy, so they're growing cotton instead of rice. I mean, you know, in those type of areas where where you have uh, uh, sandier soil and you can't control the hydrology as well, you know, they're just not going to be as conducive to holding waterfowl. Right. So you can cut down, or you can kind of categorize your strategies based on one of the things is so you look for channels right it's channelized you know the water moves in and out whatever it is um, and then what is ag doing around it right something joey that i think is very important is um, just looking at you know old riverbeds uh, you look at how tributaries run through the properties and stuff uh, Cash River is one, but, you know, there's a lot of different tributaries that, that come through agricultural lands that are traditionally good waterfowl habitat. Uh, a lot of the state agencies do a lot of aerial um, surveys, and you can look at past history and kind of see where traditionally waterfowl hold up, and that kind of gives you a really good starting spot. So what is, so talk to me about, so when, when I say Cash River Farms, 
you mentioned it was a conglomerate, right? It's it's kind of it's several pieces of of a more of a strategy of a of a puzzle um, that you can move as the headwater moves up and down the river. And that's one thing that I didn't know is as you follow the headwater up and down the river, waterfowl are going to follow that. Um, typically, because the spots that I've been locked into hunting flooded timber, well, you know what? I take that back. Maybe I did know that. I just didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always it's always great when you learn something that you knew that you didn't know. Um, right. But as I look back in some of the timber spots that I hunted, like in the very first episode that we filmed, episode one, season one, um, it was, it, it's all public ground, but I can know, like, based on what the Sunflower River and the Yazoo River, where the gauges are at different, um, different gauges, what, what the river level is, I know how much water pretty accurately is in the spot where I like to have my right foot and my left foot, and I've been right. putting it there for 14 years. And so I guess it's kind of the same concept. You just adopt it to the data that's available to you, right? Right. And, and over the years of, of, of running this system, this cash river system, you know, I, you can almost develop an algorithm of, hey, when cash river's on the rise and the gauge at, and, and the gauge at this particular location is showing X, right? I know how, I know what the water's doing before that gauge. I know what the water's doing after right. that gauge. Right. <clears throat> so, you can get a really good feel of, of generally where, in theory, the ducks should be. Now, with that being said, there are pieces along the Cache River system that no matter what the headwaters doing, they are just, you know, they have holding power. Whether the cache is coming up, it's stagnant, or it's falling. I mean, there, there, are, there are definitely locations along that river system that are just going to hold ducks more often than not. But as a whole, like I said, the ducks are going to follow that headwater. Let's go get those spots, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> problem with those spots are is they're 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 uh, even when they're they're privately held tracks, you know, they're they're tough to folks aren't wanting to let them go. I got you, I got you. So, what does the farm look like now? Give me like it's it's how many acres? It's like what what do you do? Do you plant? Do you what what goes into managing a property like or property sections of properties like that? There's not one piece that we manage that, that, that we manage the same way in our, in our, right? So, um, the, the pieces that are, that, that have an agricultural base or, or a tillable acreage base to them. Yes, we're going in, we're planting, we're, we're building out levees, water control structures. We believe that it's just as important to be able to put water, you know, to, to keep water off as it is to put water on. Um, <clears throat> being able to, uh, when the river jump, and what I mean by that is when the river jumps, if you've, if you've got food in the ground that you planted back in, in, in June, let's say, or, or, or May, and we get a, a three inch rain in July and that river system's coming up, building out the property that where we can actually keep the river off of that farm at, at the point in time during the growing process for our food is just as important as it is to be able to put the water on in, November and December when the ducks are showing up. Yeah, because when you start talking about putting in water control structures, and maybe that's a that's a good time to jump into. A lot of people think that you need thousands of acres to deploy. You know, stra what I'd love to hear from you guys is 
what can a guy, and, I, and look, I know it's going to vary from place to place, right? But I know that you've got a system and you've got a checklist of things to look for. And e- eventually what somebody can do is, look, they can give you a call for consultation. And so what I'd love to know is what strategies can guys put in place? Like what can they look for in their 80 to 100 acre, whatever it is, uh, section that they lease or they own that, that may be, either on the cash, not necessarily on the cash, but, you know, you talk about the white, you can talk about, you know, any number of tributaries that, that, that hold birds. What are some of the, some of the small track strategies that some of these guys can, can, can look at, or, or maybe it's a good time just to kind of go through your checklist and say, here's some of the things that, that we look for. And maybe this is where you can help somebody develop what they have into being the best possible tract of property to hold ducks because they're not all going to be biomita not every place is going to be the blue line in biomita you know <laughs> not every place is going to be the cash <clears throat> yeah i'm from louisiana and even i know about the blue line so but not every not every piece of property as you just said is the same so help us understand like what where do i start dude Honestly, I think the best place to start um, is to look and see, you know, where the flyway is. You need some kind of tributary going through there. Uh, needs to kind of be a traditional waterfowl hotspot as far as, you know, ducks are going to fly over your area. Um, the next step is to determine what kind of soil type you have. Do you have a clay soil type where you're going to be able to hold water? Um, if you don't have that, you're going to be up against a lot of um, problems. Um if you have a clay soil type, um, you can go in there and you can create a disturbance with a tractor. Um, disking is, is an excellent way to disturb it. Um, I think the key to anything, though, is to determine, you know, do I have the ability to manipulate water levels? If I do, then I'm going to go in there and I'm going to put a water control structure, whether it be with dirt work or, you know, put a you know, $200 water control structure in a beaver dam. As long as I can, you know, manipulate water level, I can determine what kind of vegetative response that I'm going to have. Um, that's going to allow you to hold water, produce the food sources that are necessary for waterfowl consumption, and you're going to be able to kill ducks. You know, traditionally, if you could find something that might be like an old beaver pond, a low-lying area such as a wetland that's got beaver dams and stuff, those are some of the easier places that can transition into spectacular waterfowl hunting areas. And, and Joey, just just to just just real quick to, to elaborate on what Josh said, as far as the soul the soul types, right? Literally, one side of the farm road may be a clay based soil, and one and the opposite side of that of that same farm road may be a sandy soil, and so. It is, like Josh said, it's very important to know what you're working with because you're going to be up, you're, you're going to be beating your head against the wall in, in some situations. I, I've, I've had guys that have contacted me before saying, hey, what can I do to develop this property? You know, help me out. When we get to looking at it, it's like, brother, if you don't want to run your pump, you know, you're going to have to run your, your irrigation well or your relift pump 24-7 to keep water spread across this sandy soil. And as soon as you cut it off in 24 hours, you've seen the water level drop, you know, eight inches because mm-hmm. the ground just eats it up. Um, you got to know what you what you have on the front end to understand what you can actually do, what the true potential is of that piece of property. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things Josh said was uh, about leveraging beaver dam ponds. Mm -hmm. We had a spot on a little deer lease that we had. It was probably 90 acres, and it was in the bend of the Sunflower River, and it would flood every just about every year and so one of the spots had a big beaver dam that went across and it was it was an old one and so man we fought beavers and fought beavers like in the spring just try to get the water out of it and get it semi-workable to where we can plant some plant some jap millet or some you know get some sprangle top or something like that do some type of moist soil activity in it and do that beaver every night was in there just undoing <laughs> everything that we did so we laid a six inch pipe at the bottom of that dam that we took out and um just let him do his thing and he built the dam up on top of the pipe and we put a riser on 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 the on the pond side and instead of fighting the beaver to get the dam and then bring in dozers and everything to put when we wanted to let water in we took we uncapped the riser and when we wanted to let water out we uncapped the riser and the beaver never he was we he never could figure out where the water was coming in and out from but that's what we uh that was my brainchild was man instead of fighting this dog on thing let him do some of the work for us absolutely and you know i mean a clemson leveler is basically a pvc pop that goes through a beaver dam you know that's perforated and you know the beaver doesn't really know where the water's coming from, and that allows you to drain an area um, without him trying to plug the end of it up. Um, but you can use a beaver to your advantage if you know how they work, you know, like you said. And it's a very cost-effective way, you know, versus somebody that goes in there with dirt pans is trying to, you know, create um, uh, these areas that are, you know, zero grade and stuff. Beavers are the best ecological engineers in the world, you know. I mean, they know oh, what they're doing. They know how to hold water. They know how to control it. So, And they can, can do it quick. They can. And if you know how to use them to your advantage, I promise you, you're going to be a lot better off, and you're going to have a lot more money in your pocket at the end of the day, too. That thing worked for years, man. <laughs> I was like, man, if this works, it, I'm going to be, I'm going to feel like a genius, right, smart in this beaver. And we did. You we did. Some, and there was, there was another. Yes, it, it was free labor. And let me tell mm -hmm. you what. He worked for free, and he did all his work at night, and you never saw him. I, I can't tell you the amount of nights I sat out trying to kill that thing. And I said, you know what? I've got an idea. So we cut just a little piece out, laid that pipe in, ran it away from the dam a pretty good ways. And uh, it worked. I mean, put a 90-degree elbow on it, and when we wanted the water higher, we added another little piece. And when we wanted it lower, we took a little piece out. And <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it worked. It's a great idea. We, we also, so one of the things you, I have, I did a lot of reading on green tree reservoirs and Josh, this is maybe where you, is it, I've read a couple of different schools of thought. So if I'm going to build a green tree reservoir, do I, some of the guys say, you know, you, there's the school of thought that, you know, perfectly level as level as you can get it. And then there's other schools of thought that it's just, it's not quite level so that the water, you don't fill the whole thing at once. So if you're going to plant rice or if you're going to plant Japanese millet, um, if you put the same amount of water on the whole thing, cover the same amount of Jap millet, they'll get in there and wipe it out. But what I saw a couple people do on the Chafalaya Basin is they're not completely, totally level. Um, and they will add more water as the Japanese millet gets eaten out of one part of that green tree. And so they'll put more water on the new food, if that makes any sense. 
Absolutely. If you have any kind of diversity in your topography, it's going to allow you to have water levels at different times of the year, um, which is going to create different food source availability throughout the year. Um, I would rather have some diversity in topography versus just having a zero grade any day of the week, whether it be in open land habitat or in a green tree reservoir. Um, the problem with the green tree reservoir is, you know, a lot of people don't realize that they don't become, the trees don't become dormant until much, much later uh, in the year than people realize. Just because the, tr the leaves are off doesn't mean that it's dormant. Um, it's all predicated on soil temperature. Okay, that I know that I didn't know. And that's a big push in Arkansas right now. You know, um, we've realized, you know, there's a lot of implications that um, we have got to make sure that our trees are dormant before we're putting water on them because of the stress that the trees are going through right now. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a big ordeal. And then you have to have that water off of them before they green again. Yes, sir. That I do know is critical. And the most important thing, too, is to try to mimic, you know, Mother Nature as best as you can. If you can have it to where it cycles up and down versus just have it stagnant throughout the year at the same level is really um, what you want to try to create. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, what about, so where, where do you think Cash River Farms looks like in the next three to five years? I mean, do you see more pieces in that kind of, it, like I'm thinking about it almost like kind of a, a patchwork quilt where it's different places here and there. i mean do you is that kind of the way you envision it just kind of going up and down the river system there? sure what what our overall concept is is a checkerboard that river system right and and mm -hmm. to try to work in cord and, and coordinate and, and closely mimic what you know josh and these guys are doing with the arkansas game of fish and 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 you know something the u.s fish and wildlife restoring the habitat um the pieces that we're that, that we've been blessed enough to pick up are, you know, undeveloped subpar pieces of farm ground that we're trying to go in and then restore to the natural habitat and be able to control um, portions of that ground um, and, and develop it better for waterfowl habitat, right? So, so where we're at right now is we're, I mean, we're a work in progress every day. Hopefully in the next three to five years, we've added some more strategic pieces and went ahead and, and completed the projects on the pieces that we've had or that we that we currently have. It's a never ending. <laughs> no, I know, because every time I talk to you, you're going to look at another piece of property. So. Right, right. What were some of the things that you weren't prepared for? Like when you, when you think, you know, I want to, I want to build this thing that the I have now. of work that it takes to actually go in, restore and develop duck habitat, man. I, I look, I, I thought <laughs> prior to owning a piece of dirt on the Cache River, it doesn't sound like it's that hard. Once you start getting into it, diving into it, um, it, it's a lot more than what I, what I had initially anticipated. But with that being said, this is what I love. This is, this is what we love to do. Um, so, so, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel like work, uh, or, or seem like work all the time, but, but it is, I mean, it, it, it is not, it's not easy, Joey. And Joey, going kind of, uh, into that right there, something that can make everybody's life a little easier when you're managing small tracks 
in my opinion, is to lean hard on your native vegetation um, through moist soil management. Um, I know that we do a lot of that with the state agency. Uh, we manage it intensively. You know, we do a lot of um, um, pH work, um, soil amendments and everything, you know, and fertilize it up. But, you know, the seed bank is there. Your native stuff is there. It's going to be more drought tolerant. It's going to produce a lot more food than a lot of different food sources. Um, and you don't have to worry about pests near as much as you will on some of your other um, hot foods. Um, I believe in incorporating everything um, as far as having, you know, like a buffet of, um, of different food sources, you know. But by far and large, if I was to try to say, you know, what, what would you do on one piece of property to influence waterfowl more than anything at all? Um, I would manipulate my water levels and I would promote my native vegetation. And um, you're not going to spend a whole lot of money doing that. And you're going to have some excellent resources that waterfowl are going to be able to consume throughout the year. So what do you, what do you, what exactly do you mean by that? As far as really managing and focusing on your 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 native vegetation. I mean, are you talking about things like a barnyard grass? Are you talking? What exactly are you talking about? Yes, sir. Barnyard grass is a very desirable uh, oh, I know vegetation. It. Um, <laughs> I look for is, it. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And people that know um, their native vegetation, they know what to look for and they know how to manage for it, but. Um, basically if I were to buy a piece of property like Dustin, if I was looking for something that maybe was in crop production, um, if it's had a soil disturbance such as like disking in the last three years, um, you know, you could go in there and put a water control structure there, draw your water down, uh, appropriately, um, starting, you know, if you start manipulating your water levels in March, um, slow early drawdowns you know your first 45 days of your drawdown are going to produce your you know annual smart weeds that are very desirable uh the first 90 days of the growing season are going to produce a lot of grasses such as barnyard grass um you know and once you start getting past your first 90 days you're going to start getting you know some more sedges and rushes and stuff like that um the key is, though, in my opinion, is to just, you know, have diversity on your landscape. You want to have loafing cover, you want to have some brood rearing cover, thermal cover, and you want to have the food sources available, you know, that they don't have to leave your property and go to the next. You don't want them wasting energy, and you want them to stay on your property as long right. as possible. Right, right. Dustin, what has that farm produced for you beyond ducks? Because, I mean, that's a big part of it, but there's another satisfying part of it that I know you're pretty passionate about, too. I think all three of us would agree that we're beyond the point of having to go out and pull the trigger on a duck, right? I mean, do we like to, to shoot ducks? Absolutely. But, you know, we're, we're more about working birds and, and, and doing other things. I, I'm not necessarily concerned with pulling the trigger anymore. I, 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 I get to hunt a lot. I've got to hunt. I, I, I've been able to hunt a lot for, 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 for many years. We're to the point now where it, this farm has allowed us, or these pieces of property have allowed us to share something that we feel very passionate about. It's a special piece of the country with other folks. One of our target areas is to get kids involved with the outdoors in general, but more specifically, bring them into the Cache River and show them what it's all about. Um, we actually did a, a youth hunt giveaway uh, this year, and man, 
it was an eye opener. It it really was to just it brought me back to the way I was when I was 12 years old, right? And it almost rejuvenates your duck hunting soul. It it was just it it was really special. So so these farms have had have allowed us to share something that we're passionate about with with other folks. Um, but you, you know what's kids. important about what you just said, Dustin, is when you have a youth hunt, I mean, kids go out there and they see, oh, there's trees and there's water and then there's fields everywhere. Dude, in their mind, they think it's always been like that. And it's important to educate them that, no, this was all bottomland timber at one point. Sure it is. Absolutely and it is. And you have to educate them as to here's what's happened. Here's what we did. And so as far as you can see, you see that power line over there and you see where those trees are all the way, way, way over those other trees. That was all woods. That was all habitat. And we cut that and it's, it's, it's never coming back and it's just, it's shrunk down to this. And so educating them as to not only, yeah, what the cash river is and what, you know, what it's like to see ducks come down through the trees and dude, that still cranks my tractor in the morning, (laughs) but to educate kids that just go out there and they think it's always been like that. It hasn't always been like that. And what you have the opportunity to do, and we all do, not just you, but we all do, is to say, this is not how it always was. Let me paint you a picture for what this looked like, you know, 50, 60, 75 years ago. Right. The the picture that the big man upstairs painted and and, and then fast forward to today, those, those are two completely different pictures, right? Um, and, and, I, and, and I'm with you. I think it's... It gives you an opportunity to be able to educate, hey, this is the way that it was versus this is the way that it is today. And also shed light on the importance of taking it back in the direction of the way that it was meant to be or the way that it was originally created. Um, I'm big on that, man. We, we talked about it. I Part of our ministry, the message of our ministry is whether you're a deer hunter or a duck hunter, you're a squirrel hunter, I don't care what it is. You mentioned it's good for your duck hunting soul. It's just good for your soul, period, to reconnect with what things were like before man got involved and screwed everything up. Right. Um, and, and so we, we were created by a create in the image of a creator that created these wild places and he did them because he liked them. And he, he created them like that because he knows that we'd like them do. And they're good. It's good for us to get back in there and just leave the, leave the junk behind. that's worrying you at work. Don't worry about the laptop, you know, tuck the phone away. I know you're going to have it in the waiter pocket, but uh, you know, man, connect with what things were like before we were bothered with all that stuff. And you have such a unique opportunity to be able to bring kids. You know, we have youth hunts down here in Louisiana. I was, um, I was the Louisiana chap or the chapter chairman uh, for Delta Waterfowl here for 10 years. And we did a lot of youth hunts. I mean, a bunch of them, but we're doing them in the marsh where dude, there's no more birds. I mean, right. there's no more coontail. There's no more wild jet. There's no more wild millet. Um, there's very, very little, uh, food anymore, a food source here to hold wintering birds. And you'll you'll get a few dogery, a few blackjacks swing through there every now and then, but man, that's not going to turn kids on. And so, uh, I think I mentioned this when you and I were talking. You know, we get new guys out there, and I've been blessed to to introduce like forty year old men to the sport. 
And I tell them, man, it's important. You have to temper your expectations big time because this sport is not what it was 40, 50 years ago. And if you're one of the Duck Dynasty crowd that you you know think you're going to go on there and whack them and stack them because you got face paint on and you got you know you're you got a, a sticker in the back of your window of your truck or something, that's that's your dude. You're so far out to lunch. It's not even funny. You know, Joey. With that being said, look, I feel like there's too many folks that gauge their success of a hunt on an, on numbers killed. And, and, or, or harvested. And all of us want to go out and, and kill ducks. Okay. Uh, that, that's part of the reason why we duck hunt. But, it, yeah, we wouldn't but, bring a gun if we didn't. Right. But whether it be Cash River Farms or whether it be any other farm from Canada to South Louisiana, you, we have slow days just like every other person up and down the Mississippi Flyway, right? You're not always gonna. You're not always gonna harvest stuff. Some. I mean, every once in a while, we'll throw up a goose egg and not kill anything. But if you don't walk away from each hunt a little fuller than you were when you got there, man, you're doing something wrong. I'm telling you. Yeah. For me, it's being on a a, a very intimate small river system like the Cache, backdrop by monster cypress trees and and hardwood mm-hmm. flats that. Brother, that gets my blood pumping. I mean, that that does something for me, whether I pull the trigger on a duck or whether I just sit there and look at at the cypress trees. <laughs> Being in that setting is it's if it doesn't move your soul, that you probably need yeah. to to figure something else out to do. Well, that's um, you know, we were talking. I guess it was last night or whenever it was. All my days are blending together, but um, I was saved standing next to and i can bring you to the tree and i can show you where my left foot was and where my right foot was and it is only because my creator used what was happening to me on those duck hunts to say i'm here and if you'll turn to me and if you'll just pay attention to what's going on around you i've been here forever and i'm just waiting for you to pull your head out of your butt and find me um (laughs) And so there are things that happen, I mean, funny things. I mean, you know, I think too many times we think about God as this austere fellow that doesn't, he has, you know, you read about Jesus in the gospel, and he had no personality. He was always serious. No, that's not him. Um, He created laughter. So things that happen, you watch squirrels chase each other around a tree, and one of them will fall off or do something that just makes you laugh. He did that for you. You talk about that sunrise coming up behind those those cypress trees and those those flats and everything else it always happens that somebody will say how can you look at this and say that there's no god right and bottom line is you read the book you it it, he specifically says you have no excuse you can't say that i'm not here and so you're right if you just if we all just take our time and don't worry about the trigger. Don't worry about it. I mean, if it happens, it's going to happen anyway, whether you worry about it or not. I mean, there's been some of my best mornings where everything, I have done everything I could to ruin the hunt. I mean, from forgetting this to sinking that to dropping this over the side of the boat to getting <laughs> in the wrong spot, you name it. Any, If you could draw up a, a battle plan to not work, I did it. <laughs> And it's just, we've had some of our best hunts where you're like, dude, I just wasn't even sure that was going to (laughs) work. You know? Like you said, Jeremy, I mean, my deal is if you can use anything as a platform to promote, you know, Jesus Christ, do it, you know? 
I mean, because that is the most important thing in life is to lead other people to Him. And if you can relate other people into hunting and show them, you know, God created all of this. He did this for you. There's nothing, there's nothing bigger in life. No, no, it's a pretty important decision. And, um, he loved you. Cause I, I gotta tell you, I speak at a lot of different churches, a lot of different, you know, as part of our, our revelation outdoors ministry. Um, I never forget one of the very first places I spoke, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was Lenox Baptist church in Lenox, Georgia. And I had no idea how many people they were going to be there. And I am following Phil Robertson. <laughs> he was there that he was there the year before me, him and Jay spoke. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's just wonderful. My first, you know, I said, God, you know, use me, you know, put me in front of people. He goes, okay. So he did. There were 2,500 men in this gymnasium that was huge. And I'm like, Oh boy. <laughs> um, I know God, I asked you to use me, but I didn't know you were going to do it. So careful what you asked for number one. Uh, but that whole ministry, you know, I, it is designed around me presenting the gospel to using my experiences, duck hunting, um, and how he called out to me through duck hunting. Uh, and maybe somebody will think this, you know, I never thought about it like that. Or yeah, man, I've seen that, that same thing. I mean, you guys know you're leaning up against a big cypress tree right before shooting time decoys are set. Um, and I'm usually drinking a cup of coffee because that's, if you watch any of our videos, that's in every single one, there's like <laughs> coffee being poured in every single episode, but I like just cause there's no light pollution. You can look up and see the Milky way. And when you know, it's that clear and it's cold. Um, it's going to be a bluebird day and it's probably going to be on. Um, but you look at the stars and you look at just the, the magnitude of things that are out there and you're like, man, how did you put all of this in place? But you still even know that I exist and you love me more than all of this. Matter of fact, you love me so much that you, you sent your son to the cross for me. You built all this for me, the ducks that fly through the air, that land in my decoys, the stars that I'm seeing that you know how many they are, you know them all by name. You did that for me and you love me more than all of this. Are you kidding me? And I'm going to worry about whether I killed a duck that morning. No, no, not at all. Hey man, you got it figured out. That's what it's all about. But I, so what I wanted to do is because I'm going to put, um, I'm going to put your contact information in the show notes, but I would suspect that there are a lot of guys that could take advantage of the knowledge. I mean, just in the hour that we have been talking, I've learned a lot. Um, talk about if guys want to know, like I've got a piece of property here, man, can you come out and consult with me and give me some ideas on what it could produce? Talk to me about the soil. Talk to me. What what type of help can you give people that are wanting to maximize their duck production on their property? Well, so whether it be, and, and we really haven't discussed this, I don't believe yet. If we have, I've, I've forgotten. It's been an hour, but, uh, you <laughs> it know, goes whether, fast. whether it be you're a guy looking to get into your, your, your very first duck property. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, 
and a real estate agent here in the state of Arkansas that, that helps connect those guys with their pieces all the time. Um, but, but more than that, whether you're buying your first piece or whether you already own that piece or whether you lease a piece of property that you're just wanting to enhance further, absolutely. Josh and myself can come out, look at that piece, determine what your goals are because that's important, right? Um, what, what are you trying to do? What, what, what is the outcome that you're, you're wanting? Man, look, we, we love, the dirt itself and, and hmm. making it the best that it can be. Um, contact us, reach out, uh, and, and we're more than happy to, you know, polish that di- diamond up. Not every area is going to be you wave a magic wand and all of a sudden it's, you know, just walking across mountain. You have to, and that's why I think it's so important that guys contact you is you, you got to temper your expectations. Like we talked about before as to what that piece of property can realistically produce, because right. without the knowledge that you guys have, you can throw darts at a board, throw darts at a map and just guess. Right. right. And that's not, man, this stuff is too expensive. Your time is too valuable. Um, that you want to leave everything behind and get back out into, into nature to, waste it on a piece of property that is not going to match your expectations, whatever those are. And you know, Joe, on the flip side, you might own a piece of property right now that has been a wetland for 20 years. That's never had a soil disturbance. And, you know, we can go in there and say, Hey, listen, you know, we manipulate the water levels. We promote your, you know, native vegetation. And, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to have some phenomenal waterfowl hunting. It's already here. You know, all we got to do is change what you've got. With yeah. that being said, Joey, what, what Josh was just saying, and, and this is what I tell people all the time, man, there's a lot of areas out there that, that, that are diamonds. They just need to be polished. They need to be cleaned up a little bit. You know, mm. that, that's it. I mean, a lot of the time, the backbone, the structure is already in place. It's just we can help provide you with the work and knowledge to, to make that particular piece of property as good as it, as, as that piece of property can be. And, and, and if we can accomplish that and that, you know, that, that, that's what it's all about. And I think guys think about that and they just start seeing dollar signs and well, no, I mean, you've probably got most of what you need there. You just need, you need to change your practices a little bit. Right. You know, I mean, it, it's don't don't freak out and think you got to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year, um, you know, before you know what you have. Do everything with a purpose. If we if, if we come out and, and, and assess and consult on a piece of property in July, OK, it, some sometimes it may be a, a, a two year, three year work in progress to get that piece of property shaped back into the form that it needs to be in. Right. So don't, don't expect, Hey man, we come out in July and, and as a landowner, no, but you'll tell them that that's my point. I mean, that's why getting an expert out there that'll say, look, here's what you can expect this year. Um, here's what you can expect next year. Look at it from a, a two to three, four, five year plan, but without experts like you guys that know what to do and have done it, man, you're just, you're guessing. And so you'll get you'll get pissed off because oh you know I, I did this and I put water on it and I'm still not seeing any ducks. Well, you know what are you what are you gonna do? We get another piece of land? I mean maybe it's just you need to get somebody that knows what they're talking about. I mean you wouldn't look when I was planting food plots for deer hunting, I wouldn't think of doing anything before I get a soil sample. What's the pH? What what is how much what what will grow here? What's the pH of the soil? 
how much fertilizer do I need to get it up to seven whatever or six whatever based on what I'm trying to plant? Maybe I need to lower it. Maybe I need to bring lime in and lower it or, or, or high, raise it or whatever. I wouldn't think of just going out there like Johnny Appleseed throwing seeds on the ground and be aggravated because stuff didn't grow. Right. <laughs> you like that Johnny Appleseed, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I do. You know, I can just give you, I can kind of give you an overview of kind of what, you know, we would do if we were to come out to a property, Joey. I mean, first thing is we're going to, you know, kind of see where you're at, where you're located at, and then we're going to say, all right, look, I want to run some different soil samples and see what you've got here, what kind of amendments need to be made. Um, you know, do we need to uh, put a water control structure here or there based off of, you know, the topographical uh, changes and stuff you got on your property? Um and then after that, you know, just we're going to come up with a master plan, basically, of what needs to happen on your property to manipulate it and come up with the best results possible. And uh, and then, like I said, once we get those those um, you know results in, I think everybody is going to be a hundred percent satisfied with with what they're going to be able to accomplish. Um, you know, with either what they're wanting to purchase or what they've already got, and knowing the time frame of when to see those results. A hundred percent. And let me, let me tell you something that I do a lot with Josh. There's times, Joey, where I'll be out in an area on one of the farms that, that, that we have. And, and, you know, I'll have a question, Hey, what is this? You know, or, or, or what's going on with this? A lot of times I'll consult with Josh. I'll have Josh over my shoulder. He may not be there in person, but I'll have him on, I'll have my iPad out there and we'll be FaceTiming. There, there was one situation where I didn't, re- I didn't, uh, you know, we, I was looking at one of the, the, the areas that in one of our total tracks that we were planting supplemental food, you know, hot foods. Well, I, I, I'd put food in the ground. It wasn't coming up the way that it needed to be. I knew that we had done the soil samples. I knew that we had got the pH right and, and added, laid nitrogen down. And man, why isn't this crop growing? Josh couldn't be there that day. iPad, FaceTime, Josh, look at this. What's going on? Boom, boom, boom. It's fixed. And, and so there's a lot of different things that, that we're able to do with today's modern technology. That's pretty, uh, look, I never would have thought that FaceTime other than, you know, me talking to my buddy across the, the country and being able to see his face on my computer screen or my iPad screen. Um, we can use those things to our, to our advantage. So it, it may be somebody in, in, in South Louisiana that just has a question about the piece of property, ma'am. There's a, there's a number of ways that, that we can help folks out, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, and, and my point is, don't 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 try and do it on your own. Don't just, oh, we're going to throw some seeds and some fertilizer, and it'll be, oh, man. It's not that simple. If it was that simple, everybody would be doing it. Well, you asked me earlier, what what's the number one thing that I've taken away or, or, or that surprised me the most getting, you know, going down this road? It takes time. It really takes time to get things in, in the place and the working order they need to be in. So be prepared to allocate your time. We can try to come up with a game plan to fit the resources that you have, right? Whether it be monetarily or, or the resources of your property, but be prepared to, 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 for, for time. It, it, it takes time to get things to where they, back to where they need to be. Yeah, unfortunately, that seems to be something that a lot of people are short on, time and patience. Well, <laughs> if that if you're short on time and you're short on patience, uh, man, that, that, makes, that makes this 
this game tough? I mean, I guess, you know, ultimately what we do as conservationists, Joey, is just to try to make everything the best that it can be for waterfowl, wildlife in general. So the more people that are participating, um, you know, trying to create waterfowl habitat, the better our population is going to be, um, the more waterfowl there's going to be to hunt for generations. So, I mean, the more people that can participate, the better off everybody's going to be. You know, that's a good point because if I have a farm or a piece of property that is downriver or upriver from spots that you guys have, I benefit from your practices. And we benefit you, and we benefit from yours. Yeah. And, okay. and so that's the, that's the, that's the thing is that you need to understand that you, your farm, you may have just done everything right. And everything around you is a desert. Well, right. you know, probably that way that's where the aerial look the the real estate agent and you'll come out and say location 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 right? right so um that everybody benefits because those ducks don't just stay on one farm at one time that's why you have them spread out up and down the river if they stayed in one place at one time your game would be a lot easier and a lot more local to one place right the more people that we can get pulling on the same end of the rope i'm telling you the better off everybody is that's good stuff, man. I, I have learned a ton. Let's um, let's make sure that we share a tree or a duck blind next year. I'd love to. I'd love to get with you guys and talk to you some more about what you're doing and how people can get involved if they've got some property, they're looking at property, they don't know what they're looking at, which they don't. Um, I can tell you right now, most people don't. I'd love to see more people get in touch with you guys and put guys in touch with people that know what's going on. Well, that's what we're here for. Let's make some plans to share a tree next year. I've already got a spot picked out for you, Joey. Woo! You got biscuits in it? (laughs) I'll have biscuits waiting on you. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said, Dustin and Josh not only have a wealth of knowledge, but a totally legit passion for conserving, building, and restoring native duck habitat. You don't need to be on the Cache River. Heck, you don't even need to be in Arkansas to reach out to these guys. Bring them in for a consultation. It'll take just take a few minutes, hit them up, and just talk with them. Let them help you understand what you have, what you want, and how you can make those two things coincide. So I want to thank Dustin. I want to thank Josh. Uh, guys, get the biscuits ready because we're coming next year. Uh, thank you again to our new show sponsor, Tahatsu Outboards. They are super fast, super light, and super economical to own and operate. Go to tuhatsu.com and find a retailer near you. And last but certainly not least, head over to tanglefree.com. Enter the promo code PASSION at checkout and receive free shipping on your entire order. Tanglefree.com, tanglefree.com. Just do it. With that, until our next episode, bye-bye, y'all.